Hello and welcome to the Activate Podcast. I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, this is episode 65 of the Activate Podcast. Uh, if you would like to hear more episodes, past episodes, check it out on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Jillian Pelkey Activate. Let's pray, and then let's get right into the Word of God together. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time, this moment in history, God, that you've placed us in. And God, I pray that your Word would penetrate our hearts, that God, it would go deep inside of us, that God, it would change and transform us, that wouldn't just be information that just goes in one ear and out the other, but God, it would be transformational, that it would take us from one place to another, that we would not be the same because of your Word. God, we ask that you would move mightily in our lives, that God, we would listen and be quick to obey. Move in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. Today, I'm going to be skipping around in the book of James uh, and talking about trials, talking about dark moments, moments when it feels like the bottom has dropped out. We've all had those moments. I wish that wasn't true. I wish that wasn't a common factor for everyone, but we've all had that time where things seemed impossible or the bottom, the floor just seems to not even be there anymore. And things are just a wreck. And James is such a great book for that. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through something hard um, to read the book of James, if you're not going through something hard, read the book of James and get ready for when that time comes. Uh, not to be a naysayer or, oh, the, the sky is falling, but we all face different times in our lives where, where things happen. I remember being in a church once where there was a huge uh, church split that happened almost instantaneously. Like one day everything was fine and the next day things had fallen apart. And I remember journaling about that and saying, you know, if I had known this was coming, I would have prepared my heart for it. If I had known that this uh, big, huge situation was going to happen, I would have uh, been prayed up and been fasting and been seeking the Lord and all these things. But you don't know when something's going to happen. You don't know when a diagnosis comes. You don't know when a church is going to split. You don't know when uh, a job is going to be lost or money is going to be lost. or you, you just don't know when that's coming. But you do know God today. And in this moment, in this day, it's our job to set our hearts on a rock that doesn't move, to set our hearts on God. In James, it says that God does not change. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. It's so important that today we set ourselves on a God that does not change because when something awful happens, we have to refer back to our, our, our point of reference. And that point of reference is that God has not changed. Our circumstance has changed. Our situation has changed, but our God remains the same. His promises remain the same. And you know, that's one of the first things that we throw out the window when, when hard times come, we think, well, God, you promised to me this. How is that ever going to happen? How is, this ever going to reconcile itself. And God knows the end from the beginning. He's seen it all before. The book of James also talks about how our lives are but a mist, but a vapor. Yesterday morning uh, here in central New York, there was like a mist outside. It wasn't like rain, rain. It was just everything felt like there was just a mist outside. It felt like uh, Seattle, Washington almost was just mist everywhere. And if our lives are, are, are but a mist, I mean, you look at a timeline of history and 
we are just a, a fingernail blip on the timeline of history. Our lives are about a, a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And so if our lives, they are not meaningless. Our lives are very important and, and precious to God. But in the, the scheme of the world, eternity is so much longer. And so we have to set ourselves on the God that does not change, the God of the ages, the God of yesterday, the God of today, and the God of tomorrow. He's the same God, and he's a reference point for us. All right, so let's get started in the book of James. In James, it says that we have to accept the word of God that's planted in you. This is in chapter 1, verse 21. Humbly accept the word that's planted in you. Humbly accept the word that's planted in you. And I know that that word refers to salvation. That word refers to Jesus. But there's also a word that's planted in you, a mission, a goal, a, a, a thing that God has gifted you to do. And James talks a lot about the doing of our faith. He talks about the fact that our faith without any legs to it, our faith without any action to it is dead. It's dead. It's rotting. It's no good. It's no longer life-giving. We can talk all day. We can sit on a couch all day. We can sit on Facebook all day and talk about who God is. God is so good. I trust God. I trust God. I believe in God. God is the God of miracles. God is this. God is that. I trust God. But then putting our faith into practice and action is where our hearts get tested. Our our motives get tested. We all have to realign and say, okay, do I really believe this? It's the hard time that makes you say, okay, I trust God, even though there's this diagnosis, even though this bad thing has happened, there is a rock and it is God. And I refer back to my reference point. My God has not changed. And so trials come, bad things happen. The floor drops out and we refer back to God has not changed. So our faith is given an opportunity to be put into action, not just with trials, but also with with the good deeds that God has ordained for us to do. He has gifted you with different giftings from hospitality to teaching, to preaching, to uh, evangelism, to whatever it is that the giftings that God has placed in your life. Part of your faith is doing those things. Part of that, your faith is putting those things into practical, actual action. There was a girl the other night who I, uh, who I was talking to that um, her and her friends were sitting around talking about how much they'd love to do a worship night uh, with all different churches combined. And so, you know, within a, a short period of time, they had a flyer out, they had it all scheduled, they had a church to do it at, and they were doing it. There's a difference between sitting around, so many people sit around and talk about that same idea, right? So many people sit around and say, oh, I'd love to do a worship night. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we fed the homeless? Oh, wouldn't it be great if we had this activity? Wouldn't it be great if we went and did this? But they never actually do it. And our faith has to be done. Our faith has to have action. It has to have steps. It has to have more than just information. It has to be transformational to the point where we actually do something about it. We could talk about how much we love to bake all day long. We could read articles about baking. We could buy all the gadgets from Pampered Chef for baking. We could have the best spatula, the best pans, the best everything. But until we actually bake, we're not bakers, right? Same thing with art. Same thing with sports. You could be a big sports fan. But until you actually play the game, you're just a fan, And so many of us have dead faith. We are just fans of Christianity. We're fans of Jesus. We say, Jesus is great. This Christianity thing is great. 
But until we put legs to it, we're just fangirls. We're just standing in the the stadium cheering everyone else on. And sometimes God says, now I want you to go and do the things. I want you to go and love the people. Go and preach the gospel. Go and help the hurting. Call the friend. Love the person. Do the thing that he's called you to do. And obviously it has to be ordained by God. It has to be in God's timing. But we hold back so much and for so long that I fear that many of our faith is rotting. Our faith is just sitting there rotting and not being put into practice and being used. But all that to say, I want to go back and talk about trials. I want to go back and talk about what do you do when a trial hits? What do you do when a hard time comes? How do you reconcile that with your faith? James says you're blessed. James and Matthew says you're blessed when you persevere under trials. In James 1, 4, it says let perseverance, listen to this word, finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Many of us give up before the trial's over. Many of us give up before the thing is over. So when something happens out of the blue or something happens gradually or, or whatever, when you're in that deep, dark place, We have to remember a few things. And if you have a pen, grab it and write it down. When you are in a hard time, you need to persevere to the end. You need to let it finish its course. Write down, finish its course. This is going to be a period of time. And and I was at the dollar store the other day getting some things for Luke's birthday party. And the lady at the register was just having a bad day. And the person in front of her was writing a check and couldn't figure it out, blah, 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 blah. And the lady looks at me after and she goes, it's just one of those days. And I I don't know where it came from, but I said, good thing the day only has 24 hours, and then we get to start again. And she was like, yeah, that's true. But getting through these 24 hours is going to be hard. I'm like, you can do it. 24 hours, count them down, you know? But it, but it's that's truth. 24 hours and then you start again, but you got to finish the let it finish out. And and with our lives or with whatever trial you're going through, it's a it's a fingernail blip on the radar. It feels like death. It feels like hardship. It feels like it will never end. Overwhelming, dark cloud. Yes, but it is not forever. You have to per- persevere and finish this trial till the end. Let perseverance finish its work. Now, here's what we focus on during a trial. During this deep time in our lives, we have to focus on the fact that God does not change. So first, finish finish its work. Let, let this trial finish its work in us. Now, num- the number one under that is God doesn't change. James 1.17. He's not like shifting shadows. He's not like people who maybe during a trial, people are going to talk about you, leave you, ignore you, not help you, whatever it is. But God doesn't change. Your God, who, who looks at you as the apple of his eye, who has the hairs on your head counted, who has a plan and a purpose and a blueprint for your life, who fingerprinted you, made you, DNA'd you, put all of these things inside you, giftings and talents, he sees you and he doesn't change. Just because this situation happened didn't change anything about who God is. God doesn't change. James 1.12 says that those that persevere will get the crown of life. So God doesn't change. Number two, focus on the crown of life, meaning that we, we set our eyes on things above. 
We set our hearts on things above. And so as you walk through this, remember, God doesn't change. Remember that there is an end game. A day lasts 24 hours. A lifetime lasts 100 years. Pain lasts for a season, but joy comes in the morning. You are looking towards a crown of life that will last for eternity. And so how you conduct yourself, how you deal with this, how you let this mature you and shape you and and form you is important. But this is not forever. There will be a crown of life. God doesn't change. There is a crown of life. The, number three, obey the word. James 1.22. In this, you have to obey what the Bible says. A trial doesn't give you opportunity and permission to sin. A trial doesn't give you permission to, well, he yelled at me, so I had to yell back at him. No, obey the word as you walk through the trial. Obey the word. Recognize what you're going through. Sometimes journaling is so powerful because you can see it black and white on a page. Write the name of your trial at the top. That's what you're walking through. Here's your trial. Realize God's not going to change through this trial. You're going to receive a crown of life when you let this work finish its, its course in you. Obey the word during it. And lastly, in James 1.26, be careful what you say. I was floored when I, I, I know that our tongues are, are evil. I know that our tongues are, are powerful. But there's this part in James, and uh, it says that hell uses our tongues. Hell uses our tongues for its glory. I don't want to glorify hell with my tongue. It's so important what we say about other people as we go through trials. People don't always act appropriately, and neither do I. And so I have to control my tongue. I have to never say things bad about other people. Those are other children of God, and whether they're acting appropriately or not, I give grace. I give forgiveness. And we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit more in a second. But it is so important to control what you say. Who's using your tongue, heaven or hell? Before you say a word to somebody else, before you get on the phone and talk about your trial, pray. Ask God to work out all this stuff in you. This is the most important time of your life to be seeking the Lord because he's not changing. Your situation changed, but he didn't change. You need to seek the Lord and you need to let him wash over you to continually forgive the people that are hurting you. There's two things that can go wrong in a trial. There's many things, but here's two things I want to look at. In James 1.14, it says that we can be dragged away by our evil desires. In the midst of a trial, Satan comes knocking at the door, and he wants to drag you away because of your evil desires, because your selfish ambition would say, I want to clear my name. I'm going to go out and tell everyone what's going on. Your evil desires would say, I want to promote myself. I want to... uh, push this person down and raise myself up or I I want to, whatever it is, don't be dragged away by your evil desires just because you're going through a trial. This doesn't give you permission to go after things that you never would have gone after a month ago. It doesn't give you permission to, to speak bad about someone or to do something you wouldn't normally do. It's not the time to have an affair. It's not the time to uh, take steal money. It's not the time. Any of these things, we're dragged away by our evil desires and somehow we give ourselves permission because we're going through a hard time. 
Remember, we have to obey the word. We have to be careful what we say. We can't be enticed and dragged away by our evil desires. And a notebook, again, is so, a journal is so helpful because if you write down your evil desires, they lose their power. If you say, right now, I just want to uh, yell at this person, right now, I just want to tattle on this person, right now, I, and then give those things to God and say, God, help me. God, answer my cry right now. You see the fleshliness in me. You see the evil in me. God, wash it clean, and he will. This is where he soothes us. This is where we get to know God even more because we see God, our Father, soothing us, changing us, washing over us. Don't be dragged away by your evil desires. Confess them to God and get rid of them so you can walk through this trial with obedience to, who, to God's word. The next one in James 1.20, don't get angry. Now, this is the one that hit home for me so pointedly. Uh, one time I was in a situation where the bottom had dropped out and I had left a church meeting and I was crushed. And John was still in the meeting and I came home and, you know, it's one of those things where alligator tears are streaming down my face and I just, you feel like you can't breathe. You just feel like this is, this is terrible. And I grabbed my Bible and I knew that James was the go-to, you know, persevere under trials thing. And I grabbed it and I'm reading it. I'm walking around in my yard. Like it was fenced in. Nobody could see me. I walk around in my yard crying and just reading and reading because, you know, when you face a trial, run to the word. When you face this, this devastation, run to the word. So I'm reading and I think that, you know, I'm going to, be looking at what I've always looked at, but this was the verse that, that stuck out. It was almost like it was highlighted, even though it wasn't. And it says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And that was my go-to verse as I went through this trial. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In that moment, I thought I had every right to, to go and tell everyone what I thought. I thought I had every right to get on the phone and to tell everyone this and tell everyone that. And I thought I had every right to go against what the Word of God says. I was so angry, but God was teaching me that that wasn't going to produce anything righteous in me. The next verse after that, so it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. In the midst of this issue in my life, God was telling me to be humble and to accept my situation by God's grace. And um, there's a part in, in James where um, it talks about godly wisdom and how to have godly wisdom. And it talks about all the things that we're supposed to do for God. And I was reading this yesterday. I was reading in James and it was all these things. And I just felt like, God, how can we ever do that? And the next verse was, but God gives us more grace. But God gives us more grace. And then we look at the people around us and we want to be like Christ. Give more grace. God doesn't change. He sees you where you're at. You're working for him. He's your audience. So as you walk through this, give people more grace. Be more like Jesus. Be more righteous. Bring your anger to God and let him subdue it. Bring your issues to God. Bring your anger. Bring your evil desires to God. Let him subdue it. This is our, 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 our deeds. Our, you can talk about faith all, all day long, but here's where it meets. Faith and action meet. 
in these trials. Faith, faith and action reveal our motives, reveal how much we actually trust God or not. Faith and action work together like a hand and a glove, but this is where it's hard. When we're going through a trial, it's very easy to get mad at people. And James talks a lot about discrimination, about accepting someone who's wealthy over someone who's poor. But I, I want to bring it to our attention that while we're going through a trial, if someone's hurt us, it's not up to us to hate them. It's not up to us uh, to go after them. It's up to us to wash ourselves in the word and to love even our enemies. That if someone hits us on one cheek, we turn the other cheek. That is where our faith comes into action. But there's godly wisdom in it. There's godly wisdom into, you know, there's a friend of mine that uh, she was in a situation and she was praying and seeking God for a word uh, of this bad situation she was in. And the word of the Lord came back to her and it was run, get out of there. And she did. And uh, so it's not always staying in, in bad situations. Absolutely not. But there is a time and a place to be righteous and turn the other cheek. And if someone asks for your coat, to give them their, your tunic also, meaning that, sure, if you want to steal from me or take something that doesn't belong to you, I will bless you and I'll give you even more because God sees me and will take care of me and I will humbly accept the word that's planted in me. All right, we're going to read in James 3, verse 17. <clears throat> Because James, we, we know James says, if any of you lacks wisdom to ask of God who gives generously to all, but we can't be like a double-minded person that's unstable, that doesn't believe when God gives us this wisdom. So when God gives you the answer, you have to trust him with that answer because it's not always what we think or what we see because his wisdom is supernatural. It is way beyond us. It is way beyond us. If we could come up with it, we wouldn't be natural human beings. We'd be supernatural. God is supernatural. His wisdom and thoughts are above us. And so uh, in the beginning of James, he says, if any of you lack wisdom to ask him. And when we're going through trials, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God. But here's what it says later on in James in 317 about wisdom from God. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure. Wouldn't you like pure wisdom? Anytime we call a friend, Anytime we call a pastor, anytime we call a counselor, wisdom may be really good, but it's not completely pure because we all have biases. We all have histories. We all have lenses that we put things through. The wisdom from heaven is pure. The wisdom from heaven is pure. So why wouldn't you, in the midst of your deepest, darkest trial, seek out pure wisdom? The wisdom from heaven is pure. Then it's peace-loving. Consider it. Wow, in the midst of a trial, to be considerate is so godly. It's so easy to think about ourselves as we walk through a trial. It's so easy to focus right back on ourselves. But God says, now, in the midst of your darkest hour, focus on someone else and be considerate. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, submissive to God. He is our master. And so if we walk through the trial, so be it. God, you're in, you're in control. I trust you. You are that rock that never changed. God, you never changed like a shifting shadow. And so God, if I walk through this, I know you see me. I know you're with me. And I know that you'll sustain me through it. And I know that you're teaching me something. God, I submit to who you are. God, I submit to the process. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to let this finish its work. 
the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I love when uh, in the Old Testament, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and Gideon says, whose side are you on? And the the angel uh, responds with, he's not on either side. He works for the Lord. And God is not just on your side. He's on the side of the other person you're fighting with as well. He's on the side of everyone. (laughs) And so his wisdom is impartial. It's pure and it's impartial. And it's going to be considerate to the other person because that other person is a child of God as well. And he's trying to teach him or her or them something through it as well. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That's a paragraph to really just set on for a while and just think on and ask God for that wisdom and then put it into action. Here's a couple of traps that happen, and James talks about these these two traps that we can uh, harbor. And you think about what does harbor mean? It means to put down anchor and bring close and, and put up camp, basically, to harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. We can harbor those things. And the trap is, if we don't really look at it, people harbor bitter envy, and they harbor selfish ambition, and then they boast about it or they deny it. We can boast about our bitter envy. Well, you heard that church. They're big, but you want to know why? It's because they're sellouts. We're boasting about our envy because really when we talk bad about someone else, sometimes we can be envious and then we're boasting about our envy for them. Or selfish ambition is when we're boasting about how great we are. We're boasting about the way that we got what we got. And we're not glorifying God. Or we deny it. Oh, I'm not jealous of them. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going after this for myself. And we mask it in false humility. But in trials, we can harbor these things and not even realize it. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down bitter envy and selfish ambition and, and ask the Lord. If you're struggling with this in the midst of the trial, these are, these are some linchpins that can really mess you up. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now, the thing is that that James says that those two things are equivalent to demonic activity. Can you believe that? All right, so we're in James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good, good life, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Humility that comes from wisdom. Now, we just read that paragraph about wisdom and what it is. That Wisdom brings humility. When you're considerate through a trial, it brings humility. When you're submissive through a trial, it brings humility. When you're full of mercy, it brings humility. When you're sincere, it brings humility. All right, so um, let them show their good life by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. Now, verse 14, 314. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now, here's what this says about this wisdom. Such wisdom, and wisdom is in quotes, like it's not really wisdom. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy 
and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. There you will find disorder and every evil practice. Because our sin snowballs. When we harbor these things, when we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, we will have disorder in our lives. That's why I want you to write it down. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. Pray over those. Pray, say, God, am I envious? Am I bitter? Am I harboring these things? Am I bringing these uh, nasty, sinful things close to me and holding on to them? Help me to let them go. Don't boast about it and don't deny it. Let them go as you walk through this trial. Let it finish, finish its course and work its way out. Another word for those two things are spiritual pollution. It's just spiritual pollution in our lives. In James chapter 4, it says, Purify your hearts, humble yourself, and do not slander one another. Purify your hearts, humble yourself, and do not slander one another. As you walk through a trial, do these things. James also talks about how the Spirit of God in us is, has, a, has a, an important piece here. And if we look in James 4, verse 5, he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us. He jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us. God has placed His Spirit in you. He has given us a heart of clay and not a heart of stone. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, and God is jealous for you. He wants your attention. He wants your eyes on Him. And as you walk through a trial, where do your eyes wander to? Does it wander to your own selfish ambition? Does it wander to your own envy of someone else? Does it wander or does it set on a rock that is higher than you? Does it set back to God and say, God, uh, I know that you don't change and my life is for you. Are you being dragged away by your evil desires as you walk through this trial? Or are you set upon God? James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. What is this? Godly wisdom is submissive. Submit yourselves. That means even when you don't like the diagnosis, even when you don't like the fight, even when you don't like what's going on, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. As you walk through a trial, remember, you need to finish, let it finish its work. God's not going to change. There's a crown of life on the other side. Obey the word. Be careful what you say. Don't get dragged away by your evil desires. Don't get angry. Let your faith become action. Draw near to God. Submit to him. Let all the ugly, sinful fleshliness fade away. Don't speak bad about anybody else, but work on on the issues that God is revealing in you. And then we can go to James chapter one. We can go right back to the here. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
And skipping over to James one twenty two, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it day after day after day after day until the trial's over, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Trials are not easy. They are for a season, but they are also to purify us there for our own good. And on the other side of it, we can look back most of the time and say, I see what God has done. And it may not be the side of eternity that we see what God has done, but he is, he is doing something in our lives. He's mapped out our lives. He sees our lives. He sees your struggle. He sees you and he has not changed. He's going to walk you through this trial. But as you walk through it, it's time for maturity to happen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid of any evil because God, you're right there with us. And God, I pray for the person today who is struggling, the person today who is walking through a trial, that God, you will gird us up with strength, that God, you would wash over us with, with a balm of Gilead, with that healing, soothing power of your spirit. God, I pray that we would run to you, not run away from you, but God, we would seek you and find you. God, we ask that you would give out wisdom to those who need it, that God, it would be pure wisdom that comes from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be considerate and submissive, that God, you would help us to uh, act like Christ, that we would give more grace, that we wouldn't speak evil, that we wouldn't get angry, that God, we would confess our sins so that you can uh, forgive us of them, so you can help us to be mature and complete. God, we want to be more and more like Jesus. God, I pray for the one walking through this trial that they would draw near to you. Thank you for all you're doing, God. In Jesus' name, amen.